Welcome, welcome. This is Will, and I am here with Cassie, and we are going to talk about this week's Come Follow Me. This is the January 30th through February 5th of the New Testament curriculum, and we're going to cover Matthew 4 and Luke chapters 4 and 5. And before I, I throw it over to you, Cassie, um, I think just a, a brief kind of heading of each one of these chapters. Um, Matthew 4, I really felt this theme of, of prioritizing things of God. Um, and then that built into, into Luke 4's focus on, on Christ's divinity and his mission. Um, and then Luke 5, it was, it was to me just a lot of great stories about faith of different characters and people in the Bible. Um, so uh, that being said, we're, I think we're going to jump through and try to hit a little point about on, on each chapter. So Cassie, you want to kick us off there? Yeah, for sure. Um, as Will is kind of saying, there there is so much to digest in these chapters. Um, but what one thing that I kind of just wanted to point out really quickly from um, Matthew 4 um, is you have this experience where Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days um, and 40 nights. I always think it's interesting that they include the and 40 nights because I would assume that 40 nights would come with 40 days. But anyway, so he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and what I think is the most interesting about this fast right here. Um, is that he's visited by Satan. Um, but I, what I think is particularly interesting um, about this visit is that it comes at the end of his fast. Um, and so it would seem like, you know, he's almost at the end. It wouldn't take that much more to just push through. So it would seem, I think, on first glance, that um, whatever the devil is tempting him with, um, wouldn't it be that appealing, right? Because he doesn't have that much farther to go. Um, but I also think it's symbolic of the fact that often um, we're tempted at, I think we're tempted at our weakest moments. I mean, Christ hasn't eaten in nearly 40 days, but I think we're also tempted um, at the moments right before the great, I don't want to say victory, but victory, or where mm -hmm. your success comes through. Um, and so I, I think that often that's a, a reminder to all of us to when you're being tempted, it's usually because you're on the verge of something um, that's going to bring you great reward and great blessings. Mm -hmm. And I think the message there as well with, with some of these stories of temptation is that it's by spiritual things that we live in and not some of the physical things like like bread. Um or prestige or claim that uh, that Satan tries to tempt uh, Christ with. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's true. However, in this case, I think this would um, fall under the category of one of those TV ads that's like, do not try at home. <laughs> um, fair enough. Uh, I'll jump into Luke 4 if that's okay, Cass. I, uh, one of the most telling parts of this reading to me was just the, the time where we're at in Christ's ministry, which is um, right when Christ is starting to um, starting to kind of allude to people about who he is and what what his divine purpose and, and identity and mission are. Uh, and there's a part where, where Christ comes into the synagogue in, in Luke chapter four, this is verse 17. Um, and he pulls out the, the scrolls and he pulls out the book of Isaiah. And he finds this prophecy that, that everyone knows is, is referring to the Messiah. And he reads and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he mic dropped a little bit, and he, and he closed the book, and gives it back to the minister, and, and he just sat down. And everyone was looking at him. And then he st- stands up and he says, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And basically the, the, the point he's making here is, is I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who's come to fulfill this prophecy. And what's really great about this prophecy to me is it makes it very clear who Christ is to us. Um, I remember on my mission, uh, the mission president was once telling me that, that a lot of members would sometimes complain about um, the type of people that missionaries were teaching and, and, and bringing into the church. Um, and he would always break out this scripture and he would read it and he would say, look, this is who Christ was ministering to, right? It wasn't the, the rich, um, nobles. It was, um, the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the, the blind, them that are bruised. And it's a nice reminder because ultimately end of the day, um, those are descriptors for, for everyone and for all of us. And that's why Christ came to the earth is to, to come to those who, who need him and um, who are humble enough to accept his help. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think that ties into what I was talking about last week about perfection. And I think the key is, you know, perfect people don't need a savior. He came to save his people in their imperfection, right? And so really that is our congregation and that's something that we should like celebrate and lift each other up. Um, and rejoice in being part of that journey. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and just to take this one step further, a couple of verses later, um, the people start to, to feel this like angst towards Christ because of what he's saying. Um, and he relates this kind of connection to the Old Testament. And he says, you know, I tell you of, of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, when the heavens w- were shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine was throughout all the land. But none of, unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elizaeus the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. Um, so we, we just, I, I was kind of confused about this, so I did a little research into it. But basically what, what Christ is saying is, so when he was in his, his childhood hometown, um, the people are struggling, struggling to believe that he's anything more than just another one of them, just another common Nazarene. Um, and this is a this is a common problem, right? For mankind, it's hard to recognize, um, particularly amongst our neighbors. Um, you know, special things I'm sure, like like the Savior was to them. Um, and here, Christ is pointing out um, that Israel hasn't always listened to God's messengers, though they're like the, the chosen people. Um, and in those times, sometimes God has sent messengers to the Gentiles instead. And because of Roman occupation at the time, there was this heightened sense of angst against non-Jewish people. Um, so as soon as Jesus implies that God is willing to speak to the Gentiles just as much as he's willing to speak to the Jews, um, and this happens just a couple verses later, the crowd attacks him, right? And this happened to Paul too in, in Acts. Um, and uh, I mean, it's basically just, just pre- pre- prejudice and, and racism. Um, but, uh, um, the example that Christ used here in, in, in first Kings and, um, about Naaman and, and about this widow is basically just saying, um, that, you know, in these moments of severe drought or of leprosy, um, prophets and messengers were sent outside of Israel to perform miracles. And it's that same message of, of, you know, ultimately God isn't so concerned, um, about, you know, who we are 
or where we come from or what we've done. Um, he's really just concerned about our faith and about our desires to to obey and, and be humble and listen to him. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Well, thanks. Um, if if it's okay with you, I'd love to move to Luke five. Yes. Yeah, um. So in Luke five, this is um, when Peter is called um, to be a disciple of Christ, um, and the Savior is basically on the shore giving him instructions about where to cast his net. Um, and I just want to read verse four. It says, um, "And now when he had let he had left speaking, he said unto Simon." launch out into the deep and let down your nets. And the thing that I really want to highlight in this verse is the word deep. And I want to read this quote um, from Sister Azaki, and it's a little long, so bear with me, but I think it really gets to the point of this. It says, you know, the great thing about a beach is all the activity, um, all the activity there. You can see people sunning themselves or playing volleyball or having barbecues. You can see crabs scuttling sideways on their fragile little legs and sea anemones blooming in tide pools. You can see gulls following the cresting waves to see if any fish become visible for a second. In other words, you can spend your whole life on the beach and it would always be beautiful and interesting and exciting and things are going on all the time. But the Savior wants us to pull for the deep, to launch into the deep water because he has treasures for us that simply do not exist and cannot exist in the sand the froth, and the constant activity on the beach. The Savior says, If thou shalt ask, thou shalt receive revelation upon revelation, knowledge upon knowledge. Thou, thou mayest know the mysteries and peaceful things which bringeth joy, which bringeth life eternal. DNC 4261. And the experience of Peter, James, and John tells us that we need partners in pulling into this abundance. But as Psalms 42, 7 says, the deep calleth unto the deep. The deeps are not just the deep knowledge of the gospel, but also the deeps in you. I hope you have a beach part of your personality where there's always a lot of scrambling and laughing and sunning. But I hope there's also a part of you that wants, wanders into the shallows, the sandy, the sand sandy self and goes into the deep and sometimes even when we do not want to powerful currents of mortality carry us into the deep into the deeps of sorrow and suffering and soul searching there's the deep there in the deeps we discover who we really are and who the savior really is so i love this quote and i was thinking about this and i was talking with one of my friends and she was telling me how she's scared of introspection because um, she's concerned that she's not going to like what she finds, meaning she's going to feel like if she goes through the same introspection that she did on her mission, because you on a mission, you so I hear you have a lot of time for that. Um, <laughs> she's not going to find what she's not going to find the same thing. She's going to find that she's not as close to the savior as she was. Basically, she's scared of this process, what she might find. And so we were kind of talking about this. And I was saying, I think the point of the deep and like this process of in introspection is that it's supposed to be frightening. And I think, but I also think it's so necessary and it's so vital. And even if you go into this period and you find that you've had some sort of spiritual regression, like I think that's okay. I think that's what, I think that's what this life and like this journey is about. I don't think your spiritual journey is supposed to be linear. linear. Um and I think the only way to ensure that you keep 
pressing forward is that you have these periods of deep in your life. Honestly, it reminds me a little bit of The Giver, which I know you love that book, Will. Um, do I do I love that book? Well, I, 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 did. I thought you did. Um, yeah. Fine book. And, you know, you need the joy. You need the sorrow to feel the true joy. And you need that sorrow to truly come to love and understand um, and truly be grateful for the Savior and his role in your life. Absolutely. I think that's why I, I characterize this chapter as stories of faith. It's because launching out into the deep, it takes faith and it's a scary thing. Um, and just one final thought that I'll give is a great quote I heard um, in a sacrament talk uh, once was, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. What matters is the integrity that you show to the little amount of faith that you do have. Um, and I think we should all be very empowered to to show faith because, you know, Jesus came to all people. Jesus came to the humble, to the lowly, to the, the brokenhearted, um, to set at liberty them that are captive, um, to recover the sight of those who are blind. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of reason to be faithful and hopeful. Awesome. Thanks, Will. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me. Thanks everyone who tuned in this week. Uh, it's always nice to be able to share some thoughts and I hope you enjoyed it. Catch you next week. Bye.